0: But anyway, so we are going to continue in Titus and this, you know, as I said right before the, the break, you know, this is a continual theme. This theme of leadership this is a continual theme that, that Paul is dealing with because he, he's, plant, he's planted two men, positioned two men, Timothy and Titus, in places where he has planted a church. And so Paul is placing an emphasis on leadership. And, and I think you see that throughout Paul's writings and so it really shows us that leadership is important in the body of Christ. That who are the leaders and are they qualified? Do they have godly character? And how do they lead? And 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 we saw in First and Second Timothy where Paul addresses how the church should be ordered and structured and how they should handle widows and orphans. And and then you've got issues in, in uh, Titus that we're going to get into where he's again dealing and encouraging. Titus to deal with false teachers and how to do that. And so these these books that we're going through, Timothy and Titus, they're leadership books. And so I've done three messages on leadership in the last uh, month or so. So, it, it, you know, we're coming up to a section that's going to be covering the qualifications for leaders, for elders, for, for, for pastors. And so we're not going to do a, another message on leadership, but we're going to look at this from a different angle. Does anybody remember the lens... That I said we were, we were going to look through this study through. Look through the book of Titus through. Anybody remember that lens? One person, please. Just would be so encouraging. Say that again. Effective evangelism. Drew Berg, you win the prize evangelism we got one brother one brother that remembered it you know that's kind of discouraging for a pastor right i mean this is just last week i talked about this lens lord i pray over all these people here tonight that you would just touch their brains look i'm the same way i'm the same way and one of the things to help is to take notes you know and um just pray to the holy spirit you know when you study public speaking and i've taken lots of classes on preaching and public speaking you know it really is true that most people only retain very, a very small amount of what you talk about, and it's typically something that the Holy Spirit just causes just to to, to pierce into their heart. And sometimes I get people come up to me afterwards, and they'll tell me something that stuck out to them. And I've thought, and I thought, man, that wasn't even something I even wanted to emphasize much, or maybe it wasn't even in my notes when I was preparing, and the Holy Spirit just had me say it. So you just never can tell. And so whatever you learned last week. I pray that God uses it in your life. <laughs> um, but that's the lens with which we're going to look through this section. Through the lens of evangelism. So there's lots of things we could say that the church is called to do. Right? We're called to worship the Lord. We're called to assemble and gather and encourage each other. We're called, we're called to um do lots of things. We're called to study God's word. We're called to 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 pray. The overarching reason why we are called out as the body of Christ is for evangelism. We're called to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is not in a slide. We won't have it up on on the screen. But this is the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Jesus has resurrected. It's before his ascension when he goes up to heaven to be seated next to the Father. And he says, in verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. And make disciples of all nations that, I just want to stop right there. I just had a thought. Let's think about that for a second. Verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Given to who? So anytime there's a Therefore. That means you need to look before and see, well, therefore, what just happened there? Because all authority authority has been given to Jesus, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Isn't that powerful? Doesn't that take the the burden off off of us? We just got to go and be willing vessels. That's what we talked about last week. A godly leader is a willing vessel. And so we're just willing. We say, God, we know that the authority is in You, the power is from You, the, the the work is through Your Holy Spirit. I just need to be willing to open my mouth, to be a willing servant, to be a to, to 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 meet people's needs and to speak the truth. And the authority comes from You. It's Your authority, Your power. All authority comes from Me. Go therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son. And of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so the church, the overarching call of the church is for evangelism. We're called to not just gather and collect information about the Bible. Though that is a big part of what we do. We 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 come and we learn about the Bible. And that knowledge of God's word pierces our hearts and we grow in Christ. So that's one of the big reasons why we gather But if all we do as the church is insulate ourselves from the people outside of these walls, we've missed the point of the Great Commission. The power of the resurrection is that the gospel would be spread to all the nations, to all of this area, that it would leave these walls. We're called to be equipped so we can leave, equipped so we can go, matured so we can preach. You guys are all called to be preachers. You guys ready? You guys want to have we're going to have a commissioning service, going to commission all of you into gospel ministry, because that's what you're called to do. You are gospel ministers. You may not have an ordination certificate. You may not have any Bible college background. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a gospel minister, whether you like it or not. You guys believe that? You will, if you don't believe it, you will one day. The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. He's going to make you a minister. Because you're just not going to be able to help it. God's going to use you. So, so that's what the, the church is called to do. To evangelize. And so this section of scripture in Titus. Deals with the qualifications for elders. And then there's a section in there. Where it talks about confronting false teachers. Confronting those that are trying to mix Judaism with Christianity. Then it goes into some, 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 a, a section there about um, about how this false teaching is kind of spreading, and how um, it needs to be that, that, that Titus needs to re, rebuke these false teachers sharply, and so that's kind of the section we're going to cover. But as I was looking at this through this lens of of evangelism, I thought about where does evangelism start in the local church? It starts from the top down. That's the title of the, this message, From the Top Down. And so that's where it starts. It starts with leaders. It starts with leadership. It starts with pastors, with elders, those that are, those that are called to shepherd the church. It starts from the top down. So let's look at some leadership. Let's, 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 let's look at how evangelism is impacted from the top down. Let's first read this section of Scripture. Let's read all of uh, the section in Titus that we're going to cover. Titus 1, 5 through 16. It says, This is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders, pastors in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, so here's the beginning of these qualifications. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and are open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. My children aren't debauched, but sometimes I think they may be insubordinate. So we're, pray for me. I don't, want, I don't want to miss the qualifications here, but man, sometimes you just don't know. Um, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant, or quick-tempered, or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he might be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons, How can godly godly leadership from the top down impact evangelism through the church? So this is where it starts. If the church is going to be a church that evangelizes, then the leadership has to be, have to be leaders that value evangelism, that value outreach, that equip the saints to do outreach and evangelism. So it starts from the top down. And so I think these sections of scripture here that we just read give us clues about how leaders can impact evangelism in the local church it starts with us the first one is is in these first verses verses five five through eight about the the qualifications. so the first way that leaders impact evangelism through the church is by living godly lives by living godly lives and so these qualifications that we just read I mean, th- those are very challenging qualifications. And there's, there's one of the qualifications that is the main qualification. And it's the phrase, being above reproach. So being above reproach means that, that nobody can come and say about one of the pastors or the, or the leaders of the church that there is a, a mark against their character. There's something that they're hiding that people don't know about. And, and there's something against them. They are above reproach in private and in public. That's the overarching requirement. And so it is a very sobering requirement as you go through, through that list. Let's, let's put the list back up. It says, it says that if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife. So what does it mean to be the husband of one wife? It means that uh, a, a pastor should be a one-woman man. does it mean that he should just have one wife and not two wives. It means that he should have one wife and not, and not a mistress on the side. It means that he should have one wife and not be addicted to lustful behavior. It means that he is a, a man that lives in sexual purity. He, he must be the, the, the husband of one wife. His children are believers, not open to the charge of debauchery and insubordination. So it means, it means, that, it means that it doesn't mean that a pastor, pastor's children, pastor's child will, will always follow the Lord. But But, what it means is is that his children are not out of control and causing trouble within the the body of Christ and bringing shame onto the name of christ uh, now i i i I will say this: that in a pastor's home, if a child has walked away from God, i 'm just going to put myself in this category if, as a pastor, and my kids get older and they walk away from the Lord and living a rebellious lifestyle. And I know some people may disagree with this, but I believe that it would be important for me as a pastor to take a break from ministry and to, to help, to help my children. I believe that there's nothing more important than my children and my family. I could have a successful ministry and do successful things for the kingdom, but if, if my marriage is, is in shambles and my kids aren't serving the lord i believe that if it's necessary for me to take a break to tend to my family i believe this is the heart of what this requirement is saying here for an overseer as god's stewards must be above reproach he must not be arrogant it's self-explanatory he must not be quick-tempered or a drunkard violent greedy for gain we're not in it for the money a pastor can't be in it for the money it's not about making money but hospitable. To be hospitable means that, that as a pastor, as a shepherd, I have to be willing to, to be around you guys. That if you want to come to my house, you guys are welcome. I live on 200 Midland Drive, 200 Midland Drive in Summerfield. You guys are all welcome to my home. Just let me know before. So I, my wife's watching right now. Honey, they're all invited. And uh, just make sure that we can have the house clean. I am hospitable. If you ever accuse me of not being, I just gave you a formal invitation. And I would do it the same on a Sunday. A lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. So these are the qualifications. So how can a leader, a pastor, impact evangelism in the body of Christ? By living a godly lifestyle. And so what makes that impactful in the, in the church? What makes it impactful is this. God's standards for believers is high. God's standard for believers is high. And it is the responsibility of church leaders to set that standard and model it. To set that standard and model it. As leadership, as the leadership of the church models Christ-like behavior, those who follow their example will have great impact for the glory of God. That's how leaders impact evangelism through the body of Christ. Is that, is that, the goal is, is that you would look at my life, You look at the pastor's lives that are on staff here and you would say, they live exemplary lives. And as the Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ, I would hope that 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 would be true of me and of us as pastors, that, that we could say, look at my life. It's not perfect. I make mistakes. But my life is above reproach. And I am pursuing the Lord. I'm walking in holiness. I'm following after His ways. And my life can be modeled. And so whenever people get close enough to me that they can see that and God uses that to help the body of Christ mature and to grow unfortunately the opposite is true that evangelism can be effective evangelism can be hindered when pastors live ungodly lives first timothy four excuse me well let's let's before we get to the negative example and how evangelism can be impacted on the on the negative side. Let's look at 1 Timothy 4.12. It says, Let no one despise you for your youth. This is, again, we read this in 1 Timothy when we went through this. But set for the believers an, an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. So Tim, Paul's telling Timothy, Timothy, you're a pastor. What's your responsibility? Set an example. Be somebody that other people can follow. And as a result of following your example. In how you talk. In how you live. In purity. In faith. In patience. They see that example. And they are led to maturity in Christ. And they grow. And evangelism is impacted. And, and, and the gospel is furthered. Through the example that you're leaving. And as I said earlier though. The opposite is true. Let's read 1 Corinthians 9. This is the sobering. You know. Talking about this, man, this is, this is, this causes me to tremble. I mean, Lord, help leaders. Don't, don't be quick to want to be a leader. Don't be quick to be somebody on the stage. You know, I, I think so many people want to be on the stage and have the microphone, but, but to be somebody that has to live up to these standards, to be somebody that has the, re, the responsibility where God says, I want you to be an example so somebody can look at you and follow you. That is a responsibility that should never be taken lightly. And, that, and that's why whenever Paul talked with Timothy, as, as we studied previously, it's, Paul says not to lay hands on anyone suddenly and put them in the ministry. And, and what that means is, is that, that if somebody is a new convert, don't put them in the ministry and put them in the limelight and up on the stage before their character is strong enough to be able to, be able to handle the requirements that it takes to be somebody that, should, that can be followed. And so because of that, because people get in ministry for the wrong reasons, they get in ministry for money, they get in, in, in ministry because they want the limelight, they want to be seen, they want to be heard, they get in it for all kinds of various reasons, for control, for power, for negative influence. The opposite is true. Effective evangelism can be hindered when leaders don't live godly lives. Let's read 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the, the, receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So what the Apostle Paul is saying there about his life as a leader, he's saying, I don't live an aimless life. Just aimlessly going about from situation to situation and, and, and I, I discipline myself, discipline my body. I take spiritual growth seriously as a leader because I know that I'm an example. I know that if, if, if I don't live a disciplined life, that I could preach something and if I'm not disciplined in my life, in my character, in my spirit, in, in the spiritual disciplines, then I can become disqualified because of my lifestyle. After I preach, I could become disqualified james 3 1 says this about teaching says not many of you should become teachers my my brothers for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness so somebody who teaches god's word will be judged with greater strictness because they are the ones those that are teaching are handling god's word and are responsible to rightly, as Paul told Timothy, to rightly divide the word of truth. To handle it with care and with diligence. And then also to, to live what they teach, to live what they preach. And, and I know that all, that all of you in here, at some point in your life, you have either seen somebody in ministry has disqualified themselves and brought shame onto the name of Christ and his church. And has hindered evangelism. And, that, and as some of you in here have personally experienced it. Maybe you've attended a church where a pastor has fallen, has made mistakes. And so you, for years, maybe you stayed away from the church because you felt like that all preachers were the same. And so this is a challenging subject. It's difficult when it gets around this type of subject, but it's true. It's the responsibility. So as I was thinking about preparing to preach this first point, I thought, you know, I'm really, I'm holding myself accountable to you. If this, is, this is what I'm called to do as, as a shepherd, as, as a pastor. This is my responsibility. And I pray that you would pray for me. Pray for all of our pastors. Pray that we would live exemplary lives. That we would live lives of character and integrity. That, 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 that when we are tempted, that we would buffet our body and make it our slave. So that when we preach, we won't be disqualified. Pray that for us. Because when leadership from the top down, when the leaders are godly, and they're setting godly examples, and the church looks and follows, and is around and discipled by godly leaders, evangelism flourishes in the church. Amen? Amen. Okay. Second point here. How, how else can leaders impact evangelism in the church? Let's go back to... Uh, the text. Let's look at verse 9. This is just after the, the qualifications there. Verse 9, it says, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. The second way in which leaders impact evangelism and help it to be effective, number two, is by holding firm to the word. That's, that's what it says there. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. And so the second way, and this is the obvious way, the first way is that as pastors and shepherds that are called to teach God's word, that that word that we're teaching, we're actually living it ourselves, and, it's, and we're, we're, we're internalizing it, and it's becoming real to us, and so God's changing our heart first, and then we take the word that God has changed our heart, and we hold firm to that, and we teach God's Word to God's people so that they can grow in Christ. The, the last message I preached on a Sunday was two or three weeks ago. Uh, and we were talking about sanctification, right? You guys can think back that Sunday I wore those headphones on stage and looked really goofy even with, with my headphones. And I talked about how God uses his word to sanctify us, to grow us in Christ. And so as pastors, as we hold firm to God's word and we teach God's word. We teach God's Word. We don't teach self-help messages. We don't teach you how to have a better life. We don't don't teach you how to do life better. We, We teach God's Word. We bring to bear in your life the truth of God's Word. As we teach God's Word and you hear it taught, you read God's Word, you're in God's Word, you're praying God's Word, you're listening to God's Word, you grow in Christ. So the second way that leadership impacts evangelism in the church is by helping God's people to grow spiritually. And the main way that we grow spiritually is through God's word. Leaders impact evangelism by holding firm to the word and teaching it. Believers grow in their maturity through the teaching of God's word. Maturing believers increasingly become desirous to be effective evangelists that's what I told you a few minutes ago. I asked you if you felt like you were called to be a preacher. And I told you I was going to commission you after the service. If you are a maturing believer, there should be an increasing desire in your heart to be an evangelist. To be a spokesman for Christ. Because God is maturing you and growing you. You know, my, my, my son Joel, he's a little evangelist this evening. He asked, He was asking all the neighborhood boys to come to church. Just asking all of them. And so he got one of them. And uh, they're here tonight in kids' church and uh, never met the boy except for the other day. And uh, he's here with us. And uh, his mama and daddy might come. You never know what will happen. So God desires that we would be like a little child. And be evangelist. And as you mature in Christ, God puts that desire in you. But it starts with the teaching of God's word. So it starts from the top down. Godly leaders who live godly lives that you can look at and follow. Who hold firm to God's word and teach it with accuracy and accountability and boldness and passion. And we all grow. That's Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4 talks about how God's given gifts to the church. And and two of those gifts are preachers and teachers, pastors and teachers. And as the Word of God is taught, what does it say in Ephesians 4? It says that the church grows into maturity, grows into the fullness of the stature of Christ, into mature manhood. And it says that the body of Christ is perfected for the work of the ministry. For the work of the ministry. You are called to grow in Christ so you can leave these doors And do the work of the ministry. This is not the work of the ministry. Preaching is not the main work of the ministry. This is what the church does. We do this. This is in-house. We teach God's Word. The work of the ministry is outside of these doors. And that's what you are equipped to to do. To be evangelists for the gospel. Now, yes, there are other works of the of the ministry within the body of Christ. And we know those about the the service gifts that God's called to us to serve each other within the body of Christ. But the main work of the ministry is for us to be equipped to leave these doors. Cute, little, excuse me for this quote, but cute little self-help messages do nothing for the cause of encouraging spiritual growth. You can get that anywhere in your life. You put up the second half there, Chuck. Messages that do not originate from sound biblical foundations produce spiritually weak and ineffective Christians. You know, when you come to church here on Sundays and Wednesdays, I believe that you're getting a a steady diet of messages that have biblical foundations. Because if you're not getting messages that are based on the Bible, you know, what, what is our authority? What's my authority as a preacher to tell you how you should live, right? This is what you should do. Well, says who? Says me because I've been living a long life? Well, I haven't. <laughs> I thought, I, I've thought about that recently. You know, I thought when, you know, when Pastor Nate gets up here, he can get away with telling you, you know, I, I've been doing this for X amount of years and so you should listen to me. Well, I'm only 36, so. I gotta have something else as my, as my backup. And so I'm just gonna tell you what the Bible says. Pastor Nate does that too. But, but I don't have anything to fall back on. I'm still struggling with my kids. Been married for 13 years. I'm making some, some headway there and I love my wife with all my heart. She's the most beautiful, amazing woman who's listening right now. So I'm still, I'm still working some things out. So my authority is God's Word. And so, I'm not here to tell you how to have a better life. I'm here to tell you what God's Word says. And you, and and you, and and you just kind of, you, you go with what God's Word says. You, you take the implications of God's Word. What does God's Word say? And how does it meet my life? And that, that's up to you and the Holy Spirit. I, I I just gotta tell you, here's what God's, God's Word says. So, cute little self-help messages don't help you grow. But messages that are void of biblical foundations, it produces weak, ineffective Christians who aren't growing spiritually and this is what happens listen to me listen 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 you people can come to church and it ends up being about themselves it ends up being about what they can get out of the church service and that is not why we gather for church it's not about how i can figure out how to have a better life or how to fix my problems And can you have a better life by coming to church? Well, obviously, your life can vastly improve by being a Christian. And can you have your problems fixed by coming to church? Absolutely. It it, it happens. It's happened to all of you. That's why you're here on a Wednesday night at 8.05. Because your life has been radically changed and improved. But we don't gather for that week in and week out. We gather for the worship of God. We gather because He's holy. And He's worthy that we would honor Him. That's why we gather. And we gather secondarily to sit under the teaching of God's word so we can mature and grow. And then thirdly, if I can add a third point, we gather to minister to each other. That's why we gather. You cannot give instruction in sound doctrine without holding firm to the word. I want to read this section in Hebrews 5, verses 11 through 14. So again, well, some, some, some people say the Apostle Paul wrote, Hebrews there's some debate about that but the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 5 says about this we have much to say and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing this is a picture of people who have not grown in their faith grown in their understanding they're not spiritually growing for though by this time you ought to be teachers you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God you need milk not solid food for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. That's a picture of a spiritually mature person, person that that grow, is growing into maturity in Christ. Amen. What's the third way? That leaders impact evangelism. Third way. This is not a fun way. But it is, it is a part of what the responsibility of leaders. What, what the, the responsibility that leaders have. Uh, number three is by confronting error. By confronting error. Let's look at verses 10 through 14. So we, we had the qualifications. then he talked about holding firm to the word of God. And teaching it. Verses 10 through 14 says, for there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced. So what's this deal about the circumcision party? So what the Apostle Paul is dealing with here, and and you can see it in other books, in in, in other books that Paul has written, that there was a temptation for Jewish Christians. You know, the early church was made up of 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 Jews. Those were the first people to get saved were Jews. And on, on the day of Pentecost, the Jewish followers of Christ gathered on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came down. They were empowered to be witnesses for Christ. And the gospel spread all over. And you see that unfold in the book of Acts. And along the way, the Holy Spirit had to work in the life of the Jews for them to realize that the Gentiles, all of us, non-Jews, were to be included in, in the gospel. But in the early part of, of the church, these Jews were trying to come back and pressure jewish christians that they had to incorporate the jewish regulations and customs with christianity and paul is telling titus that these people and and it's the circumcision party were were those who were telling jewish christians that you still need to abide by the circumcision laws that you still that, that that circumcision the outward evidence of being a jew for males should be something that should continue even even as a christian and so Paul is confronting that and telling Titus, they must be silent since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, and he was, Timit, uh, Titus was, was pastoring the church in Crete. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. So, I underlined that section. Rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. So, one way that evangelism is is increased and is helped to flourish within the body of Christ is confronting error. Confronting error. And so, why does error need to be confronted within the church? Why does it really matter? You know, some people would, would say, well, just leave the error alone. Just preach the truth. Don't worry about error you know and some people like confrontation more than others some some people hate confrontation it, so, so, some of you here when you think about confronting issues in your life or, or you you've got to confront someone at work you get hot flashes and you can barely sleep at night because you are overwhelmed by the idea of confronting somebody in your life because it scares you to death other people like myself hey what do we need to confront let's handle it let's do it let's get it done I don't struggle with it. Um, you know, I get nervous from time to time, but God's given me, God's given me a desire to want to bring peace in situations. And if it means confrontation, hey, it's just, it's just words. You gotta be careful about how, about how you say them, but we'll, we'll work through it. Let's confront the issue. Let's just, let's not leave it there. Confrontation is important, but why is confrontation important as concerning error in the church? Because error in the church, error in Christians' lives can distract them from from the main purpose of their Christian life. Anytime I've ever seen error in Christians' lives, it it ends up being something that they hold up above the Great Commission. They hold it up above the gospel. It distracts them in their life from what their main calling is. And And they get off in false teaching and false ways of living and evangelism. And the Great Commission is hindered because they have not been confronted by the truth of God's word, about what, they're, what they are believing and what they're listening to. Confrontation of error is important because sheep tend to wonder. Second Timothy 4, 1-5 through 5 says this about that subject. This is Paul again talking to Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, hold firm to the word, be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. The time's coming. And he's not, he's talking about, this is talking with, about, about the church. The people in the world, they don't endure sound teaching. They don't even have ears for it. They're blinded by the God of this world. They're spiritually dead. They don't have ears for it. This is talking about in the church. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. But as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, and do the work of of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So there will be a tendency for sheep to wander off into myths, into false teachings. So it's important that if we're going to stay focused, and the point is for the church to stay focused on the Great Commission and what we're called to do on the gospel message. So one of the responsibilities from the top down for shepherds, for teachers, is to correct error, to correct error. And look, let's go back to that text, Chuck, in uh, Titus. It says, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith." So what's the point of correcting error? Of correcting the error, that they may be sound. You don't just come up and correct somebody because, aha, I got you. I'm right, you're wrong. You're you, you're not seeing that correctly. I've, I've got one up on you. Correcting error is so that somebody may be sound in the faith. And that that idea there of of, of rebuking sharply, it's not coming up to, to somebody and saying saying in a in a very angry type aggressive tone, rebuking them like that. It's Rebuking them sharply with, with accuracy, with boldness. But obviously it's clothed with compassion because the goal is, is that they may be sound in the faith. So if you rebuke in a aggressively sharp manner that's, that's not clothed with compassion, you're gonna push somebody away. So it is important that we believe correctly. And look, I, I, I thought about putting all the references that the Apostle Paul dealt with uh, about correcting error, rebuking and confronting. But we, we would have read about 15 to 20 scriptures. And so for the sake of time, I, I didn't do that to you. But th- th- this is an overwhelming truth within the body of Christ. But we don't like this. It's not comfortable. But the reality is, is that error does creep into the body of Christ. And it is important that as pastors, as shepherds, that we confront that. We hold up the truth so that people can, so that people can listen to the truth and so that they can. Walk in truth and be effective for the gospel. Effective evangelism through the local church starts with godly leaders. Leaders who model biblical standards. Who teach God's word and confront error. And and lastly, what's the last way that, that leaders impact evangelism through the church? By pointing to matters of the heart. By pointing to matters of the heart. Let's look at the text finally here, verses 15 through 16. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Hang on to that phrase there right at the end. Unfit for any good work. So who is it that's unfit for any good work? Somebody... Who inwardly, inwardly they're defiled. And that that, that inward defilement is shown in outward defilement in their lifestyle. To, to, To the pure of heart, all things are pure. To the pure inside, internal, their lifestyle is pure. To the defiled, inward, all things are defiled. That's what that scripture means. To the pure, those are pure of heart. They live pure lifestyles, but if you are defiled in your heart, you can profess to be godly, but your actions prove differently. And if that's the case, you're unfit for any good work. So, one of the responsibilities of shepherds, from the top down, that will impact evangelism if we are going to be effective for good works in the in this in the body of Christ, is that leaders would deal with matters of the heart. You know, it matters so much more. Who you are on the inside than the actions that you live. Because who you are on the inside will impact the actions that you live. Who you are in your heart impacts your hands and what you do. Impacts your feet and where you go. Impacts your thoughts and what you think about. Matters of the heart. You know, Christianity is not a religion of outward works. That's what separates Christianity from all other world religions. All other world religions other than Christianity says that to please God, you have to do good works to make him happy. That if you do the right good works, this is what this is what that terrorist did in Manchester. He believed this terrorist in Manchester believed that that work that he was doing. Was going to appease Allah and get him favored with God. And you take that philosophy, that's an evil, hate-filled philosophy that this guy believed in. But you take that, that idea that something that I do is going to make God happy with me and he will receive me. Christianity is completely opposite of that. Christianity says before you're saved that you're dead. Ephesians 2.8 says that, that 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 for by grace we have been saved. And this is not of your own works. It is the gift of God. So salvation is not by doing good, and then God says, Well, you've done enough good deeds to get you happy with me, and so now I'm going to save you, and now you can spend heaven, spend eternity with me. So so so, as pastors, our goal is to not get you to do a bunch of good things. Our goal is to preach God's word, to to live godly lives that you could follow, to to teach and hold up God's word. And teach it boldly and passionately to you so that, so that you would internalize that word. We're not just called to put up a list of rules for you and say, follow these things, do these things, and then you're going to be effective in your life. Because you, you will fall short every single time. But if we, if we will preach to your heart, the goal is to preach to your heart, to show you Christ, to show you that He is the most beautiful, the most lovely, the, the greatest one to serve and honor and worship in your life. And when we hold up that and that truth pierces your heart, then you will change and you will grow and you will preach the gospel and you will be effective. So godly leaders impact evangelism by pointing to matters of the heart. The body of, the, the body of Christ will not be effective in evangelizing the world by pushing a moralistic message. Salvation starts with death. And ends with resurrection to new life. New desires. A new heart. Salvation is of the heart. Jeremiah 31-33 says this. Behold the days are coming declares the Lord. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. And the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers. in the day when I took them by the hand. To bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law within them. Matters of the heart. And I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. A person who attempts to follow God without having a heart transplant first will end up in hypocrisy. And that's that picture in Titus. They... Appear to be godly, but on the inside they're defiled, and then as a result of that, they'll be unfit for any good work. When the Lord has your heart, your desires are for the Lord. You desire to please Him. So, what is it that pleases the Lord? What is it that pleases Him? I want to read a section in Isaiah 58 to close here. This is the last section. Thank you guys for hanging with me and. I want to close with this section, Isaiah 58. And so the prophet Isaiah is speaking to a, a nation of people that were all about externals. And this is talking about the subject of fasting. And, he, and the prophet Isaiah, the, the Lord is rebuking this nation through the prophet Isaiah and telling them, you are fasting, but you're quarreling amongst each other. You're fasting, but you're fighting. You're fasting, but you're greedy. You're fasting, but you're full of hypocrisy and sin. You're doing all of these outward things, but inwardly your heart is not after me. And so the the, the Lord speaks to the prophet, to the people of Israel, through the prophet Isaiah, and and asks a question, what kind of fast am I after? And listen to this. What pleases God? No, this is the kind of fast that I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. Remove the chains that bind people. Share food with the hungry. And give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. Do not hide from relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn. And your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward. And the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then you will call. The Lord will answer. Yes, I am here. He will quickly reply. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry. Help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness. And the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. The Lord will guide you continually. Giving you water when you are dry. And restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. Some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities. Then you will be known as a rebuilder of walls and a restorer of homes. Amen. Amen. Lord, I thank you for that truth of your word. Lord, I pray that you would seal that in our hearts. That we would be concerned about the matters of the heart. God, that we would be effective evangelists. That we wouldn't be worried about all these external things and, 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 and how, we can, how we can do everything just right to appear godly, but we're actually not even effective in, in what we're doing. Lord, may we be filled with a heart of compassion for those that are all around us, that are lost, that don't know you. And God, as we sit under godly teaching from godly men, Lord, I pray that all of our hearts would grow in maturity and that that that, that truth that we learn, that we internalize, may it not just end in us, but may it be released through us to a lost and a dying world. May we be people that are not content with just our own spiritual life and growth. May there be such a holy discontentment in us that we will not settle for just mere Christianity. Just a simple Christian life. May we live with a sense of compassion for the lost. A sense of purpose for why you've placed us here. May it burn on the inside of us each and every day. We pray these things. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. And we will see you on Sunday.